Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, it's State of State. We got your Nittany Line update. It's a football discussion with Tom and Justin. So kick back and press play. With former Penn State and NFL defensive back Justin King, I'm Tom Hannafin. This is State of State. This podcast is presented by Bet Online. College football season is in full swing, and the last of the major pro sports leagues are off and rolling. Bet Online remains your top spot for all your live betting action and contests. College basketball is ready to go. The NFL, college football, and the NHL are all in play right now. Bet Online is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. All the basketball betting action, along with every sport available at your fingertips, with both desktop and and mobile access for every sport anytime. Head to betonline.ag today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Don't forget to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. State of State is presented by BetOnline, where the game starts. Also, State of State is a proud supporter of Blue White Outfitters. Blue White Outfitters was created as a retail shop meant to highlight the confidence, competitiveness, and fear of the elite athletes found throughout the history of Penn State University. Check out the latest Lockdown U and Lawn Boys merchandise today. All sales from Blue White Outfitters directly benefit Penn State student-athletes. Visit www.bluewhiteoutfitters.com today. And if you're looking for the perfect beer for Penn State football season, we've got you covered with the State IPA. Special thanks to our friends at Funk Brewing for creating the best tailgate and game day beer for Nittany Lion fans. A limited supply of the State IPA is still available now at beer distributors, grocery stores, Funk's tap rooms, plus select bars and restaurants. Visit www.funkbrewing.com slash beers slash state dash IPA to learn where and how you can get state IPA before it runs out for the season. Check out the link in the description of this podcast for more information. Must be 21 years or older to purchase. Please drink responsibly. Plenty of headlines this past weekend in regard to Penn State football. And uh, by the way, there's a game coming up this Saturday. Penn State hosts Rutgers this Saturday at noon Eastern. Uh, Rutgers comes into the game, I believe, at six and four. A little bit of a skid. Meanwhile, Penn State eight and two just lost to Michigan by a score of 24 to 15. For those of you that have been living under a rock. And oh, by the way, offensive coordinator Mike Yurcich was fired this past Sunday. For those of you that are tuning into this episode because you want to hear a breakdown of the game, Penn State versus Rutgers, I'm going to speculate that you might be in the minority of Penn State football fans. I'm going to tell you exactly where you can find it. If you scroll ahead in this episode to the point where you hear our good sponsors at HelloFresh get involved, we will do that after that. But until then, we are still going to be talking about all the stuff that happened this past weekend, as much as James Franklin wanted desperately in his press conference on Monday to move past everything that occurred on Saturday and Sunday, it's freaking impossible, Justin. The amount of stuff that happened in a 24-hour span is unbelievable. And the reaction from Penn State football fans, if you tell them, hey, are you going to the game? Senior day, by the way, against Rutgers this Saturday, I guarantee you most of them are going to be like, who cares? And, and that's such a bummer because I, I know I'm excited for what the team could do and hopefully they could grow from this. But it's like it's hard to be optimistic after what went down this past weekend on and off the field. 
when you have high expectations coming into the season and go to the national championship or go and make the playoffs for the first time and just keep hitting Big Ten that, title game, even if we start there. Big Ten title game, right? We've been there before. We've won that. So there was a, there was a level of expectation coming into the season where we were breaking through the glass ceiling and getting to the playoffs. The way we lost the two games, I think, is what's painful. Um, to where you almost feel like there wasn't, a, a, I'm going to say, a strategy put in place from the offensive side of the ball. But just to say that, like, we got to rip up our offensive playbook, get rid of the offensive coordinator, and move forward from this point. So that this disappointment, I think, is mirrored internally when we see the coaching moves, right? <laughs> like, to get rid of your head coach with three games left or even offensive coordinator. Yeah. Offensive coordinator I'm sorry, we get rid of your offensive coordinator. Uh, with three games left in the season that you can possibly finish at 11 and two. I think that shows the mentality and disappointment internally as well, where it's like, look, we're not going to rest on our loyals. Maybe from Pat from previous years where it's like, Hey, we're, we're still 11 and two. What do you like? We need to have more NIL. We need to have more alignment. It's like, no, we, it seems like James is responding to realizing that we have to produce it now. And like, this is the talent that we need now. And if this is the problem that we've identified, let's move it along and get the the right offensive coordinator in here and move into next year. But it's definitely more of a NFL approach. But I also like the approach from the standpoint of making that decision to be good or great. And when to be great, you have to make those hard decisions or the questionable ones where everyone's not going to be on your side. And for me, when I look at coaches, the ones that are authentic and kind of have their own identity, they have to stand on and make decisions that everyone's not going to like and weather that storm. So. Let's see how it goes. Yeah, there's, uh, there's two regular <laughs> season games left and then a bowl game. We'll see how that all shakes out. I want to dive into James Franklin's Monday press conference because, as you well know, Justin, having worked for the man, there's a lot of things in these press conferences where he is very, very careful about what he says. And you have to read between the lines sometimes because he's speaking without speaking at times. So let's start with the firing of offensive coordinator Mike Yersich. He was asked directly if himself and Pat Kraft, the AD, were involved in the decision. James's response, quote, this was my decision. I don't do anything in a silo. I run things up the ladder, but this was my decision. At no point does he say, yes, it was me and Pat Kraft deciding we should do this. To me, Justin, and you tell me what you think, that is... James going to Pat Kraft and letting him know, hey, I'm thinking about firing Mike Yursich and Pat Kraft coming back and being like, do you think that's what's best? Yes, I think when they're just looking forward, the new age of the Big Ten uh, media rights coming into it, that's a, I mean, that's right up Huge Pat Kraft's alley, right? And when we talk about what the product is from Penn State football, offensive football is what drives the game of football. And so, like, did he have a conversation or a power, but I think I mean, being at the game, Pat is on the sidelines the whole time. It was a little different when Sandy was there. She's there on the sidelines at the beginning to see the coaches. And then she goes upstairs to the, to the press box to deal with the donors and the fundraising, not necessarily Pat Graff. When you're at the game, when he's the athletic director, he's on the field from first quarter to fourth quarter in the coach's box, hearing the same things that the coaches are hearing, taking in the atmosphere of the program. So it's not that, I think he didn't check with him. I just think he's probably a little bit more aligned and like, you see what I'm saying? I well, see what you're saying. With him, but it's a very no, no, different no. conversation. You know what I'm saying? No, it's 100% a different conversation. But I think 
it's one of those things of like, you hear the booze, I hear the booze. <laughs> we got to make a decision moving forward. And if this is our problem, like everyone had the expectations. Administration had the expectations. The coaches had the expectations. The team had the expectations. We could say one and no every week, but we always had those two games circled on our thing. It was like, is this going to be one and no against Michigan and Ohio State? And for that not to happen and it to be glaringly clear on whether it's a lack of game plan, creativity, just offensive execution of it being the offensive coordinator, I th I think it is James's decision, but at the same time, I think that it, it weighed heavily on the athletic director in the space that we're going into the Big Ten uh, realignment next year and put it on a, a freaking good offensive product on the field. Because I really believe if we go if we went eleven and two and score fifty points a game, or if we lost a shootout against Ohio State and Michigan, forty to forty three, I think the narrative is completely different, and it's moving along. But the fact that we just just the clunky and inconsistent offense is not good for anybody. It's not good for donors. It's not good for TV ratings. You have national news media outlets like Dan Lebitard saying, get Penn State and Michigan off of my television. It's not because of the defense. It's a top to 10 watch. defense. It's really you know what I mean? Watch. Offense is tough to watch. So when I think about all those different things and the impact that offense has, I think Pat had a little bit to do with it. But James also knows at this juncture of his time at Penn State, he has to be clear about where the program is going and making sure that they have the right opportunity. Cause I think Pat might've lost a little trust in him. If he doesn't make a move and moving forward and it's like staying copacetic. Cause now it's like, all right, well you're taking the onus on this, on this train moving forward. Not that he doesn't already, but when we're identifying that, yo, the offense is the problem. And listen, you talk about the alignment all the time and this is the right, chain of command it makes sense to me the way that that was phrased there by james franklin but it's not pat coming down on james saying hey you got to fire this guy or the two of them huddling up yeah we agree we have to fire him that's james going to pat saying i think i'm going to fire this guy and then pat this is the beginning of this is the extension of the leash you know what i'm saying like this 100%. is like hey this is your decision you know and you if you think this is what's best we're going to support you so Again, first year AD, first year president, that that makes sense to me, but I, I still think there's some stuff to be gleaned there. Here's another quote. In regard to the new co-offensive coordinators, we talked about running backs coach Juwan Sider and tight ends coach Ty Howell will be the co-offensive coordinators for the remainder of the season. James Franklin on Monday saying, quote, Sider and Howell will be handling the game plan as well as the offensive staff. I think we're a little bit more collaborative right now than we've been recently. My presence is similar to what it's been in the past over my 13 years as a head coach. In terms of play calling, we're going to work that out this week in game planning, and they'll both have a role in play calling. Howell will be upstairs. Sider will be on the sideline. Specifically, that sentence, quote, my presence is similar to what it's been in the past over my 13 years as a head coach. To me, that says nothing's changing. Same old, same old. Yes. Or it can be taking ownership of the bad product that's been on offense. Because there been there can be a way of standing around of like I'm gonna change something and 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 get involved in the office, but it, for him to say his same involvement in the offense, I think validates what we said on the Saturday episode of the inconsistency or just the changing of the offensive coordinator 
if there's still glimpses or gaps that need to be filled, then it still starts from the top of the chain, which is him. Um, so I think that validates that point. Uh, but with that being said, I mean, I think all offense, I mean, head coaches are involved in the offensive planning. I think it gets tricky when you have two first time offensive coordinator coordinators game planning, calling the plays when essentially me being just in the business. I mean, they're interviewing for their offensive coordinator positions. Sure. So just sometimes a lot of, a lot of chefs in the kitchen makes me a little nervous, especially where we're starting from with the misalignment of the offense or just inconsistent play. So when I hear three minds or two offensive coordinators and the same um, oversight of the head coach, it's just a lot of offensive minds in the, in the pot. And if anybody knows, I mean, sometimes an offense can get a real heady and strategic with the X's and O's because you're drawing up stuff, schematics. And that's why when we spoke on Saturday about giving Mike Yersich all the credit and blame about the play calling and this, that, and the third, like I've been on teams where we've done a lot of things basic. I've been the player where we've done things basic and basic things work when you have players, but it's about that game theory. It's like, yo, do you have the confidence to run basic plays because your players are better and continue to stick with it until it works? That's a whole different discussion so i mean who's calling the plays i don't know it's more about the charisma and the confidence that you call the plays and chart your attack on saturday so that's the thing that needs to be uh continue to be cleared up and just hopefully they have a, a unified game plan coming out of there my takeaway again is the offensive style that we have seen from james franklin's teams dating back to vanderbilt and through his time at penn state the offense that people have been frustrated with um that that's not going anywhere from what I understand, like from what I'm hearing based on those quotes, it's, it, it's not going to drastically change. I don't think anybody was expecting that in terms of a home game against Rutgers and a road game against Michigan state, maybe by the bowl game, there's some different things. And then the, during the Monday press conference, James was also talking about, okay, when do you expect the new full-time offensive coordinator to be brought in? And there is that hope of, trying to get the guy before the bowl game, trying to do what was done a few years ago with Manny Diaz, where Manny Diaz was on the sidelines for the bowl game, was able to see what the team looked like, offer some input, kind of get a feel for things and come up with some ideas rolling into the season. So that timing makes sense. And it's difficult to look for a, an offensive coordinator and assistant of any kind while the season is underway. So it sounds like the hope is maybe to get that guy before the bowl game, but we'll have to see how that plays out. So my fear is that, the offense that people are frustrated with ain't going anywhere. And you might see it again in 2024. Uh, but I, th I think for him to say, I think that there's a level of him saying that he's going to still be involved with the offense. The same amount he has been in 13 years is kind of selling something low for like a, a higher output, just from the standpoint of him, just for the fact of like, James is extremely smart. So just people know, like, of course, he, no, like, I, I mean, I'm like, no, 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 not that. that. No, no, I'm not saying anyone's doubting it. I'm saying for him to say that, it's almost like, okay, I'll take the onus of everything going on in here, but we're going to make some changes because they, 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 they changed the offensive coordinator. And if we look back at the history of the time that they've had success in his tenure at Penn State, not necessarily Vanderbilt, I don't bring that up here, but it's Joe Moorhead. And I think Ricky Ronnie had a, a, nice, a nice stint in play calling and the rhythm and how he called the game. But... I mean, I think there will be changes in how they approach the offense because 
he'll he'll make adjustments, but I think that's just him owning the offensive troubles are on his shoulders. So, I mean, the spotlight's on. And and I respect owning that, and I do understand him having to be hands-on under such a uh, uncommon situation, I guess. I mean, it's not uncommon within college football, but still, this is, you know, a bit of a shock to the system. Um, you talk about a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Um, let's throw another name into the hat on offense, uh, Danny O'Brien, who has been involved in quarterbacks as an assistant. Uh, the quote from James Franklin on Monday, Monday uh, Danny O'Brien's been very involved. I'm going to make sure I'm in every one of the QB meetings with Danny in terms of the quarterbacks. Danny and myself will be overseeing the quarterbacks. Uh, so that went from being Mike, Mike Yursich handling the quarterbacks. Now Danny O'Brien, who used to be uh, a quarterback at the University of Maryland, uh, has gotten very good reviews, it sounds like, in terms of his relationship with Drew Auer and the rest of the quarterbacks. But now, again, that that added layer of micromanagement, you have James Franklin, who does have experience in terms of coaching quarterbacks, wide receiver, offensive coordinator, once upon a time, now hands-on in that room. How do you feel about that? I like Danny, to be completely honest. Just being around him and going up to the building, just as he has that charisma of an offensive coach. He's a former player. He understands the whole aspect and the tactician from player to coach. I've, from my perspective, those guys tend to work out well. So I look at him as a high-rising type of, uh, or has a profile of a high-rising type of coach in the system. And someone like a Drew Aller to be able to connect with them. I mean, it's different when you're when you change coaches due to someone getting fired, right? So like being able to have a player that's probably been through that, understands the business and still has like tactical coaching acumen to be able to step in here, it's an opportunity for him. I mean, he was the quarterback analyst or I want to say, was he GA? I want to mess up his title. Whatever the title was, this is an opportunity for him to really showcase his quarterback skills in front of the head coach. Like I don't actually feel... um, anything about that because he was heavily involved in, I don't say the development of Drew, but like working with Mike along um, the preseason path. So I'm excited to see him at the, as the quarterback coach, to be honest. Currently listed as the offensive graduate assistant. And basically when your was up in the booth, uh, Danny O'Brien was the physical representation of the offensive coordinator on the sidelines, talking directly to Drew, et cetera. So it sounds like that is probably going to continue. So I'm interested to see that, but again, you now have Franklin in the quarterback room. You have Franklin in the co-offensive coordinator room. Uh, there's just more cooks in the kitchen, as you talked about. And fortunately, two games remaining against inferior opponents. Hey, when there's issues with the dishes, the chef has to come in and make sure the sous chefs are cooking it up right because something's not right. Because I think these past these next three weeks, going to really try to figure out like okay, what's going on. I mean, mm-hmm. he probably was involved until this point, but you bring in a Mike Yersey, he was a highly touted offensive coordinator coming into the offseason. So there mm-hmm. is a level of like, all right, let him do his thing or not even beg your pardon, but like submit to his um his his preferences on call like play calls and different things of that nature. So I mean when something's broke, it's the head coach's job to figure out how to fix it. So I think mm-hmm. him meddling and being in there is a definite necessity at this point of the season. All right. One more quote here that I think is very interesting. I think you especially dealing in the world of uh, NIL, the transfer portal, recruiting, talking to players, talking to families. This is something that is, I think, kind of new. The question was asked, 
Will Drew Auer be involved in the hiring process of a new offensive coordinator? Now, you immediately smirk at that. Um, but admittedly, I don't think anybody's ever had that thought in college football and only in the national they football. should never league. have it, but go ahead. So I under, no, I, I understand what you're saying, but like, there's plenty of examples in major professional sports where you do see significant players, star players, special players have influence on whether it's a head coach in the NBA or a coordinator in the NFL, look at the way that Aaron Rodgers has been able to dictate things. Right. I'm not saying it's okay, but I'm saying, no, are, I think they, I think they should get saved, but I'm going to tell you why it's different, but it's interesting that that question was posed. And the answer I, I didn't have a problem with in terms of, you know, James basically said, our will not be involved in the hiring process. Now, are they a part of that decision? Yes. In terms of, do they, the future offensive coordinator fit with our personnel? Does everyone understand what they're signing off on? And like this decision, I want our quarterbacks to be the first to know. So it's like, yeah, they're being considered, but no one is knocking on Drew Auer's dorm room and being like, which offensive coordinator should we go sign? But that is a unique proposition, Justin, that all of a sudden with the NIL era and the transfer portal, I would not be shocked that if at some point in time, not at Penn State, but some other school, there's going to be a kid that comes along. Hell, if Caleb Williams was a freshman right now, would he call his shot and be like, I want to work with this guy? So I think there's different leverage points when you can do that. I do not think um, at any point uh, do you ask a player from a head coaching standpoint, who should we hire onto my staff? Actually, when I was getting recruited, I met with Tim Curley and – uh, Graham Spanier, the AD and the president at the time, and Joe was under on the hot seat. And the AD and the president on my recruiting visit asked me who would I feel comfortable taking over as the head coach if Joe were to leave during my time there. And so, like in that situation, I said Tom Bradley because, like, I'm getting recruited. This is who I feel comfortable with. This is why I'll be essentially attending the university. So even in that conversation it was a, a overall leadership part right this is james is the leader so like joe paterno didn't ask me that of like who who i want to be my defensive coordinator so from a head coach asking a player it's different than the nfl because nfl or even the nba because we're talking about franchise players yes i hate to say it like college guys i love you guys you know i'm pro player and all that but none of them are franchise guys at the most they're 36 year old 36 month superstars, which means like the best ones in general are going to be there for 36 months. And when that happens, you can't build a whole infrastructure around that player. But what James said, which I think goes down into just the identity of the team from him as the head coach, offensive coordinator, down to the personnel, down to the play callers all the way through, is having that consistent personnel that matches up with that coach there's a thing that says like being the head coach of your positions or just the coaches are able to recruit and bring in the talent in their room so sometimes there's i mean beauty's the in the behind of the, the eyes of the beholder behold, beauty is the in the eyes of the beholder right so like you have different coaches that are continually transitional offense they start bringing in the guys that they like so i would like to see with that being said that there's just continuous or a standard on the offense, regardless of who the coach is, that it matches up with the product or the offensive identity that we're rolling with. Because I think that's something that needs to be looked at on the offense is that there's been so many different people recruiting offensive players, whether it's the, the string of receivers coaches, um, 
or the different offensive coordinators and the positions that have done well have some stability, right? Like the running backs. Right? I mean, Jay one has been there since, since miles and he's had it done a good job on recruiting so forth and so on. So with that being said, yeah, I think it comes from the head coach when you're talking about setting the personnel and everything. And then the coaches align with that. For example, like Alabama, they always have new coaches, but the personnel and everything and systems look the same or whatever's coming down. So I think from that standpoint, yeah, it has to come. It has to flow from James, and and never should a day in college where a a, co- a, a player should call the shots just based on the time that they spend in the school. And now, listen, just because the player is not consulted doesn't mean the player won't decide to transfer. And again, I just referenced Cale Williams. He played with Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, and then Lincoln Riley went to USC, and he was like, "Man, I like his system. I like playing for him." transferred to USC and he won a Heisman trophy. So there's that. And I think that's completely different, right? Because now now we're now that's that's what I was saying about it's the scraps. Far off like, from that point, though. Now we're hit. Well, it is because like I don't think your is gonna be a hot name on the block. Like I, it's not I don't think I mean you, you're talking <laughs> like Caleb no, Williams he, had he Lincoln Riley. Yep. But he had so if as from a quarterback, so if I'm talking to a high school quarterback right now, I'm telling them to more so align with a quarterback coach in a, a offensive philosophy than I am with a necessarily a university as I would do with all the other positions. So I think that is different with quarterbacks because I think the personal relationship between the quarterback, the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator, hope most of the times they're the same person. You want that coach to have. I mean, a, a biased opinion towards you in the positive, right? So even when, like, Jomo, sure. he went to Mississippi State, our highest, guess who our highest recruited quarterback on the board was at the time? Garrett Schrader. Guess who became Mississippi State's top quarterback? Garrett Schrader. So, like, it's all that. Even with, even internally, just to cause some stir and have some stuff going. Like, I remember Kenny, uh, Kenny Sanders, shout out to the Kennel in there, but, like, we were bringing up the possibility of, like, yo, if Jomo's up, he's a hot coach, is there a reason we're not recruiting Justin Fields as hard as we need to because he knows he's not going to come here? Like, so you start seeing like that, the way that that quarterback coach, even talent acquisition funnel is completely different. So I'm saying that to say is like, yeah, Drew has to have some, some gonads to be like, all right, I'm leaving if you don't, if I don't have the right coach for me, but it's up to James to make sure he finds the right person that fits with the talent that he already has. So it's just a little further down in the, in the, in the, uh, in the, timeline but there are areas where a player can hold them hostage and i'm all for that when it happens <laughs> and just like mike Yursich is about to have to you know rebuild his image and rebuild what his reputation is drew aller is going to be doing the same let's be very realistic and that through 10 starts yeah eight and two but those two losses were rough there were some road starts that were rough there's sp- there's bright spots and there's been some rough spots it's been inconsistent so Yes, he is a five-star recruit, and all the physical gifts appear to be there. So, like we've said, I'm sure most major Power Five schools, group of five schools, would want to talk to him. But he is not exactly the hottest commodity right now, and it's no disrespect to what his game is. It's just a matter of what's in- occurred over the last month, especially. And and for him, I mean, be on, like, be real. Like, there's a level of even when you're in the NFL when you're jumping as a free agency, not taking that deal that the team offers. Like, you're betting on yourself. Like, you have to yes. feel good about yourself. You have to feel confident. I just don't know how confident he is. So, like, right now, I feel like Penn State and James have the leverage when it comes down to, hey, this is the move we're going to make. 
we're going to take in your your talents. We're not trying to bench you. We're not trying to move on for you or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But someone that's still fond of, I mean, he's still our our guy at this moment. But just know that Bo is still producing. Gunk is coming in next year. Like like the pipeline from uh, the ex, what's my man's name with the quarterback coach, like Brett. That pipeline's still coming in. So like he has to work and continue to get better. But mm-hmm. I'm digressing off of the thing, off the question of should he have any input of an offensive coordinator coming in? I think coming into the situation when a player has leverage or can pick their situation, that's when they exercise all the say of like, hey, I want this coach. Like if he was a recruit coming in, like in about the time of December, yeah, you got to talk to me about what's going to happen. But now that Mm -hmm. he's in there, just the art of war, you got to sit tight. One more question, and I promise we will get to talking a little bit about <laughs> Penn State versus Rutgers. If you were to build an offensive game plan around Drew Aller, what would it look like? A- offensive game plan. Well, a game plan would have to be indicative of the defense that I'm playing against. But if I was going to build an offensive philosophy, philosophy, oh, yes, better yeah, word. philosophy yeah, there we go. No, that's cool. I mean, a philosophy around him. I mean, I would be going with like a, a Bruce Arians type of offense. I mean, I would make sure that his his risk tolerance is is raised up a little bit, and it's going to be we're going to be risking, it's, it's going to be risking it. Like I've been saying, we're stretching the field, vertical attack, um, and with that situation, like the fact that he's been able to show like the athletic ability and playmaking ability when things break down, and those are the type of situations that you want to see. So if I was going to build a philosophy, it would be like around a coach like a Bruce Arians and like how he kind of throws it out there but remember he throws a lot of interceptions people got on Jameis Winston his rookie year when he had those 30 touchdowns or 40 touchdowns and 30 interceptions no risk it no biscuit but that's a part of it and I think Drew can be a volume passer as he gets in rhythm and all that good stuff but you can't do that without uh dynamic receivers and playmakers around him so definitely definitely an issue personnel the kennel like you talked about works their butts off and is trying to get as many talented people in the building and at least you know you have the aces there the tight ends you feel good about the lawn boys you feel good about but wide receivers certainly need some love for me looking at drew hours game and then also not ignoring nick singleton and katron allen and all this is that you know for drew the ability to get the ball out in one to two seconds very much nfl style the way that you just talked about bruce arians i think about tom brady's whole run with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, not the most mobile time in his career, that ball was out quick. And it and granted, he had a lot of really talented receivers, and it's completely apples to oranges talking about the NFL to the college game. But still, taking advantage of mismatches where you have them in regard to the tight end, you got to get some more talent at wide receiver. But if you can get the ball out quickly, Drew's not meant to be carrying the ball 10 times a game like he did against Michigan. He can get the ball out and he can put it in a lot of different places, but you got to stretch the field. You have to work the seams in between the hashes. You've got to exploit zone coverages. And then when it comes to running the football, uh, part of this is Nick Singleton's individual work on his own, but then also finding a way to set him up for success. You hit it really well early on in the season is that Nick needs four to five yards to get going. Give me him in a pistol formation. Give me the quarterback under center. Give me eye backs. I know a fullback would be kind of insane to think about once again here at Penn State, but we used to do that quite a bit. I wouldn't hate seeing that again. Katron can dance and get his things in between the tackles and doesn't really need that much space to get going. But Nick's a different type of guy, and it's almost thinking back to when Joe Moorhead was here, and you and I have talked about this off air, is that Saquon would get a lot of tosses and counters to the outside off tackle 
wasn't doing a ton in between the tackles. Didn't not that he wasn't capable of it. He just that wasn't the way the offense was tailored. It feels like Nick could be set up in a similar fashion. So I think the philosophy that you and I are just kind of discussing right now is a departure from the offense that has been instilled and has been executed by now five different offensive coordinators under James Franklin. And it's like, okay, that that difference, those changes could work, but will they find the right guy that is going to implement that system? And will they find a guy who is willing to stand up for that system and a guy that James Franklin is going to let do all those things individually? As James said 100%. on Monday, it's a people business. A hundred percent. You can have four verticals in your playbook, but if you don't have the gonads to call it on game day, it doesn't really matter. Even though the fall can feel jam-packed, HelloFresh makes whipping up a home-cooked dinner actually doable with quick and easy options, including their 15-minute meals. That's less time than it takes to get delivery. And with everything pre-portioned and delivered right to your door every week, it really is a no-brainer. Some of my personal favorites, the pub-style shepherd's pie is delicious, and the fully loaded pork taquitos, two of my favorite dishes. And just on top of that, they're healthy, they're fresh, and they save me time and money. Talk about convenience, something that tastes good and saving money. I mean, it's essential in my life where I'm just running around, whether it's podcast, talent management, dealing with my daughter in tennis and moving around and having a healthy, convenient meal that saves money on the grocery bill and just the food budget is amazing. It's a plus one in my book. You hit the nail on the head. We all know HelloFresh takes the hassle out of mealtime, but did you know it can also save you money? HelloFresh is 25% less expensive than takeout. So that means you can get an easy home-cooked meal on the table and more money back in your pocket. So head to HelloFresh.com slash 50Lion and use code 50Lion, that's 5-0-L-I-O-N, for 50% off plus free shipping. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash 50Lion and use the code 50Lion, 5-0-L-I-O-N, for 50% off plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. As promised, now it's time to talk about Rutgers. <laughs> and I really, really don't mean this as disrespect to Rutgers because I don't necessarily think, given what we saw last weekend and what I can only imagine is the vibe around the team inside the building, this is definitely a game that they are going to be emotionally challenged with coming off of such a letdown against Michigan. And you, I don't want to necessarily call it a trap game because it's not like you have some Titan on the other side in Michigan State. Michigan State has really struggled mightily this season. But Rutgers is a different story. They come in at six and four, as I mentioned. They have back to back losses now, uh, Iowa 22 to nothing this past weekend, which Iowa somehow eight and two. I, I don't understand how that freaking <laughs> happened. Um, but the week before, uh, at home against Ohio State, Rutgers gave Ohio State everything they could handle for basically three quarters. And then uh, Ohio State discovered that they could throw the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. And they leaned on him in the fourth quarter. And tell me if you've ha heard that story before. Ohio State did that to Penn State. They did it to Maryland. They did it to Rutgers. But still, credit to Rutgers. Greg Schiano and that defense came prepared, gave Kyle McCord and company problems. Before that, defeated Indiana 31 to 14, defeated Michigan State, the aforementioned Michigan State, a little bit closer than uh, many would expect, 27 to 24. 
and before that a loss on the road at Wisconsin 24 to 13. So it's a it's an up and down team. Gavin Wimsett at quarterback. We've seen a little bit of him at this point. Justin, dual threat quarterback, not terribly accurate, but he can create those mismatch problems. Running back Kyle Manungai is very, very solid, and it's much more of the it, whenever you get to see Michigan actually throw the ball, not like they did in the second half against us, unfortunately, the offense in the manner that they uh, they utilize J.J. McCarthy as a weapon, as a mesh point, making the, the defensive end or a linebacker or a spy think about him, Rutgers can do some similar things. When you watch the Scarlet Knights uh, offensively, let's start there. Uh, what should Penn State be prepared for most? I mean, the trick plays. I mean, plenty of, th- like, to be honest, the play team again, like Rutgers and Greg Shiano, they're going to come out. They're going to be physical. They're going to take their shots, right? Like, I think really being on key, being on key, reading your keys throughout the time. I mean, look for the play action. I mean, we just shown that a team ran the ball 50 times in the second half. So we got to make sure we stop the run because, again, I think Shiano is the type of coach where he's going to test the physicality. That's the one thing about Rutgers. I don't say they make me nervous, but it's going to be a physical game and they're not going to back, they're not going to back down. So it's going to be one of these games where execution is going to be at a premium for our offense based on the troubles that we've had, because I think Rutgers is going to come out ready to try to punch us in the mouth, to be completely honest. And just, you know, Greg has, Shiano has some Penn State ties. And so he believes in that Penn State stuff. So I can, I can hear him preaching that to their team and coming in there and saying that, hey, these guys never wanted you guys, so let's give it to them. I mean, everything's just different now, man, with the transfer portal and the way different coaches are. But this Rutgers game, man, guys got to come in ready to like ready to go after it. Even though it's senior day, this is the game that you don't want the last loss to turn into two losses because I think more so than the last game after Ohio State, what was that? Who did we play after that? Maryland. We were like – Maryland it was like a trap game or something. No, it wasn't Maryland. It was oh, no, I'm sorry, Indiana. Yeah, forgive me. <laughs> Indiana. Yes. We were like, yeah, it can't be a trap game. Rutgers can be. Nearly was. Nearly was, but Rutgers could actually be. Like, Rutgers is a lot tougher than Indiana, so you got to come on ready to play. Kyle Manungai, uh, 942 yards rushing on the season, 5.2 yards per carry, seven touchdowns. Uh, gets involved sparingly in the passing game. Uh, Johnny Langan, a tight end who has been there for going on 17 years, used to play quarterback, has played tight end, uh, has played wide receiver in the past, so he's a versatile gadget-type player. You talked about some of those trick plays, so that's something Penn State's going to have to be aware of. But of either side of the ball that I am worried about, I am not terribly worried about what Penn State does defensively. I expect them to have a strong bounce-back game. It's offensively, naturally, that everybody is worried about for this game. For Rutgers, I believe they are 13th in the country in total defense. They allow about 294.5 yards per game uh, altogether, passing 166 yards per game, rushing 128 yards per game, and they're giving up 183 points per game what is it that greg Schiano can put out there against penn state this weekend that makes you worried because it seems like the formula that you talked about in the offseason has been utilized well by the teams that have given penn state problems i think he's going to continue to go about that where it's just a, a, a nice uh odd front or even front and playing pressure behind them i'm talking about the defense attack in penn state right Yes. 
Rutgers yeah. defense against Penn State's offense. Rutgers defense. Yeah, I think they're going to like pretty much play a man up, to be completely honest, across the board and force them to throw the football. I think Shiano, just the way he's coached and his history has been an aggressive type of style. And I think the team's going to come in and play fearless. So with that being said, like, I mean, I remember times in the past where they didn't have nearly the amount of talent that they have now, and they still played in a little bit more aggressive fashion where it's just like, hey, we're going to lose. We're going to lose our way. So with that being said, I think they're going to come out with the same game plan that we've seen against Ohio State, Michigan, and player and teams like that where they're going to challenge the outside receivers and make us beat them. And so it's up to our guys to really go into these last games. I, I, I hate to say it, but not so much as a team-first approach. Like it, it, like, it, like everyone needs to take a look in the mirror and not have so much of a team-first approach, but like, yo, what am I doing? Like, am I beating my man? Like, am I making the play? Like not looking up to like the next person. I need this person to do this or the play calls that like, am I going to make this play when it comes? Like when someone throws me the ball, I'm going to make a interception. Am I going to force a turnover? Am I going like all those different types of things that identity needs to be spread across. I think the offensive side of the football. And um, I think if they take that onus and put it on their shoulders, I think we'll start seeing some different outcomes because I mean, players embody how they're coached. To be complete, like that's just the facts of it. In your time in college, can you recall a similar circumstance, big game and an, a painful loss going into a game against a lesser opponent? And you know, whether it was at home or not, but just kind of that letdown and then almost that question in the back of your head of, well, what do we have to play for? And what's the, is this a meaningless game, quote unquote? Yeah, I mean, I think my junior year, was that my junior year? We played Michigan State at the end of the year, and they end up coming back, and we let it slip away. But it was just a team that we should have beat. Um, and it was really, I don't say going through the motions, but it, it was just really like that edge was off at the end of the season. And it was and, a, and losing to a team that you're better than always hurts. And it was just like poor mistakes. Like bad fundamentals is like hurtful for me in football. So we weren't tackling well just doing the simple things well in the 10th back then the 10th or 11th game of the season that just you have to clean up. So you have to play with that level of intensity to finish out the season. That's what made me say guys going into it with a, a not a me first mentality, but like a me first, I'm a win my matchup mentality. Like this is on me. Stop looking around. Oh, head coach fire. Who's going to replace this? Am I going to get my care? You beat the man across you beat that, like focus on that and just, Whatever the, whatever it is called, if it's a block, beat that person. If it's a slant, beat that person. If it's a, a run block, beat that person. Like everyone on offense should just think of that. The, the offensive coordinators, if this is their play call, be aggressive, and this is what we're going to do. And let's see where the chips fall. What's the old adage? Uh, tape don't lie. What are you going to put on tape? What are you going to put on tape for you know to be in the next series, to be in the next game? to be on the team next season, to be on another team next season, to be uh, think about jumping in the transfer portal, like all those <laughs> different things. <laughs> Sound like Dion now. I was like, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just saying, oh, think about it. You have to put in good feel, right? It's just, Cause that's a new dynamic for players in college football where a lot of times you get upset with a coach and it's just like, you just complain about the infrastructure where it's like, Hey, guys are watching. Like, I mean, like you act, like you said about Drew, like he, can he leave? It's like, can he? Like it goes two ways. I know uh, this has been a rough episode, and it's <laughs> like it's been, it was a rough weekend. Let's not kid ourselves. But 
all, all kidding aside, Penn State should win this game against Rutgers. I think they will have their challenges against this Rutgers defense. And you will see if Rutgers sticks to the rushing attack, Kyle Guy can cause some problems. So if Rutgers follows a similar formula to what Michigan did last week and to a degree what Ohio State did weeks ago, then yes, they have a chance to be successful. But I would be truly surprised to see Penn State lose this game at home against Rutgers. And another thing to play for, it is senior day. And this is a very tradition-rich program. These are guys that care about this program, guys that care about putting on the blue and white for the last time. So uh, hopefully there are enough motivations, enough reasons for them to play their best this coming weekend, which I fully expect. Penn State versus Rutgers will be this Saturday at noon Eastern on FS1. We'll have your full recap episode right here on State of State. Thank you all so much for joining us. This episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, let us know what you think of the show on Twitter, at TheKing1 and at Tom Hannafin. State of State is presented by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.